Everybody say, Pastor, you bringing it righteous. <laughs> Today is a, uh, a dress-up Sunday for some of us. Uh, how many of you, like, grew up in church? Raise your hand. You grew up in church? Okay, so we used to have this thing called Sunday Best. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, there, back in the day, man, I had just, just rows of ties and suits and the cufflinks and the whole thing. That's just how we were raised. But, you know, um, God directed us over many years that we want to make a church where all people feel welcome. So the people that are like, you know, suits and the people that are sweatsuits. Come on, somebody. We want to make room for all of that. But once in a while, we just kind of like to dress up now and then. So today's the dress up day. And, and uh, so some of our staff and pastors are decided, hey, it's Legacy Sunday. In honor of that, uh, we're going to dress up. So praise the Lord. Hey, are you guys ready to get into the Word today? You're excited? Amen. Appreciate you guys being here. Can we welcome our online campus and everybody that's watching? Come on, let's give it up for them. God bless you. So glad that you're with us. We're in the final installment, part four of our Move series. And uh, this, this is the last one and just going to kind of culminate. We've talked about a lot of different things. Uh, you know, one of the, we talked about how God is a motion detector and how he, he moves when we move. He senses our movement. He responds to our movement. Our miracle is connected to our movement. Amen. And so a whole series has been about that. And we talked about different ways that we can move, different levels when it comes even to giving. We talked about the kind of the... The discernment process between, you know, uh, talking to God and then doing what he says. How do I know he said that? And then we talked, uh, last week we talked about the motivation uh, behind movement and, and ultimately in a word, it's eternity. Today, today's message is entitled, Move Over. Turn to your neighbor and say, move over. <laughs> Not literally, or maybe, <laughs> or maybe, but uh, today is entitled, uh, Move Over. If you're a guest and you're here for the first time, uh, there are sentiments uh, that are part of this service that really are not, they're not for you. It, you. Meaning, I don't want you to feel pressure. They're for you to receive, but there's nothing for you to do. And so I don't want you to feel any, like, push or pressure. At the end of the service today, we're, we're doing what we call an offering, a legacy offering. Actually, in our church, we don't pass a plate. We don't, uh, we don't do that every Sunday. We don't do it any Sunday except this Sunday. Everybody say this Sunday. This is just one. And so unapologetically, we... we we're, we're bringing not just an offering, we're bringing a sacrifice. And we call this our, our legacy experience. And so I just want to relax all the guests and all the, the first timers. But today I want to give a little bit of like the why. A little bit more of like the why as it pertains to our church. A little bit tr truthfully, a little bit of like kind of my heart as your pastor. Those that call this your church home and see me as your pastor. I want to give you a little bit of like what's behind that. Uh, more today. But I'm going to open with a word of prayer, and I'm just going to ask you to kind of like focus a little bit. Can we just close our eyes, bow our heads, not because it makes us holy, but just helps us focus. So Father, I ask that in Jesus' name, the, 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 the things that transpire from this point forward would not do anything to quench the spirit that's already here because we were worshiping you, and we've been presenting ourselves a living sacrifice. We've been offering up praise and thanksgiving to God. We've been making a joyful noise, and all those things, Lord, your word says you hang out with that. You inhabit the praises of your people. So, Lord, please stay. In fact, I ask you to be here in an even more pronounced way. I prayed for this moment, these moments, this day. I pray it be special for every single person in this room that you touch, not just their minds, but their hearts, and that you touch their hearts in such a way that they willingly, cheerfully present 
an offering before the Lord. And may it be a sweet-smelling, fragrant offering. In your, in, your, in, your, in your nose, you smell it. it, it it's good, Lord. And uh, I thank you in advance for that. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Turn your neighbor say, get ready, get ready, get ready. <laughs> if you're new, you just don't know. You just don't know what's going to happen next. So we, we like to say that, amen. Um, so I thought about how to kind of illustrate today. So this is an illustrative sermon. But I'll set it up by, by first of all, asking a question. How many of you have traveled, you know, kind of gotten out of state, done a little traveling, gotten on a plane? Anybody? Any plane people, okay? I, I think I, I introduced my family to flying, getting on a plane, like barely, you know, out of the womb, you know? And we, they were on a plane because we had family that lived out of state and, 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 and then professionally uh, done a lot of flying and, and travel. And truthfully, I don't really like to travel. I like to get to wherever I'm traveling to, but I don't like the travel process. Is anybody like me? And, um, and, and so I just, I, I, like, I like the creature comforts, uh, you know, and, and as I've traveled more often, I've become a little bit more picky, a little bit more particular, yeah. honey. Um, and, 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 and my wife, and in particular my assistant Gretchen, knows it more than anybody. And so there's certain, just being transparent, there's certain airlines I don't like to fly, okay? I just don't fly. And I'm not talking about... Spirit, okay, everybody? I'm not talking about that. You need the Holy Spirit if you fly on spirit, everybody. Like, big time. Like, for 40 bucks, you can go around the world. You may never return, but for 40 bucks, you can go, right? I'm not talking about that. Turn your neighbor and say, he's not talking about that one, okay? All right. I'm talking about another one, okay? And, and my wife loves this airline, and I'm not going to mention its name, but it's opposite north and east. And so, but I'm going to unpack, like, why I have a little trauma behind flying certain airlines. So, so we're, we're going to Alabama just recently for Thanksgiving, and this kind of connects to that in a little bit. And, and while, while we're, we're going there, we're flying this particular airline that I didn't mention the name, and, and, and you get a number, right, and then you get into a, you know, you get into like a pile of people, yeah. <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about? And, and, and then that number is, is, is given to you, but it's not necessarily associated directly uh, uh, with, you know, um, a specific seat, you know? <laughs> you just don't know what's going to happen. And, it, and, and the trauma, as I pause on that, the trauma comes from an experience that I had when I was a kid. And, and, and so this experience connects to that experience. And back when I was a kid, I remember the first time I ever got on a school bus. How many remember the first time you ever got on a school bus? Right? Scary. Straight up scary. Like, I wasn't 220, you know, you know, whatever. This guy right here, I was this little twerp. And I remember getting on the bus, parents kind of just leaving you at the school bus, abandoning me <laughs> to my own self, getting on this bus, and it seems like everybody on the bus is bigger than me and mean, right? You just look at them, and you can just, and you're going down the aisle looking for what? A seat, right? And it seemed, it seemed that what scored on my mind is I'm walking down, and I see the, those green seats, the two-seaters, and it just seems there's just this kid who should not be in elementary school anymore. <laughs> he, he should have graduated. He clearly was socially promoted for 10 years, and he's there. 
And, and he's looking at me, and, and, and I'm looking at him, and, and it's, it seemed like in the beginning, it's like the first part, it's like the only seat open. And I'm like, you know, my voice is still like Michael Jackson. Come, get on. <laughs> little, little Mickey Mouse. Can, can you, can you, can you, uh, can you scoot over? You know? And, and he's like, no, man, seat taken. And because he's the big guy, as I progress down this aisle looking for a seat, it seemed like that encouraged other people. And I look at this guy, and, and they're like looking away. And then I look at this guy, I'm thinking I'm going to ask him. And then he, he looks at me, he's like, seat taken, bro. Seat taken, bro. Bro, seat taken. And, and it just keeps on, and I, I'm being traumatized by this. Finally, I get at the back of the bus, and I'm, in, I'm like in the last seat of the stinking bus. My parents, I get home, they're like, where'd you sit? I told you to sit up front. I wanted to sit up front, but nobody would let me have a seat. You know what I mean? And I sit at the back, and they associated the back with bad, and so they thought I was bad. And I wasn't bad. I just, nobody gave me a seat. So that experience affects, I, I didn't know that, but this, this name of an airplane that I won't mention brought back, triggered a little trauma from my childhood. And so I'm going down the aisle, and, and I'm looking for a seat, and, 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 and people are projecting. You know who you are if you do this. You know what I mean by projecting? You're like, you're kind of like looking down, you know, and you put some extra stuff of yours that's supposed to be under the seat, on the seat, so you can look like my wife's at the bathroom, but you're not even married. <laughs> right? And then some of you are, there's people that are like looking you straight in the eye, like, don't even think about it, bro. Don't even... <laughs> Don't even come here. Truthfully, I've been that person too, you know, like, I pray for little people. You know what I mean? Lord, give me a little person. Just give me a little person sit right next to me so I can have the thing. You know, so I can have the thing, right? And so I just keep on going and, and, and just there's no room. Nobody, nobody volunteers. Nobody's willing to move over. Nobody's, nobody's quick to like, oh, here, you want to sit here? Would you like the window or the aisle? No. Everybody's got this seat taken mentality. Is everybody tracking? And, and the point I'm trying to make is there's this pervasive, poisonous, common behavior that we see in life through these illustrations that honestly happens, I think, everywhere. I think it happens in schools where people, where people like, uh, you know, you, you can't get a seat at the, in the cafeteria. How many had that experience before? Nobody's going to give you a seat. Or if there is a seat, you're like, I know why he's sitting over there by himself. <laughs> I think I'm going to avoid that at all costs. And, and so there's two ways you can do life or, or, or do life. You can live your life. I like to call it the seat-taken life. That's the, that's the comfortable life. That's the uh, closed-off life. That's the no-space life. That's the I don't move over for anybody because it, this is mine. This is my territory. This is my seat. This is this is my blessing. This is, this is about, this is here. It's, it's closed. It's small-minded. It's low impact. Are you with me, everybody? And then the other kind of life is the move-over life. The move-over life is more committed not to me but to other people. The move-over life is open-hearted, open eyes. Oh, 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 yeah, here, here, here. Come on over here. Oh, you want to sit here? Actually, you can have this seat. I'll get up. It's a different way. Are you with me? It's a different way of living. And it's high impact. It's high impact. Everybody, honestly, is building their life on something. They're building their life, I would just say, in a nutshell, unintentionally or intentionally. And, and kind of the big idea for this message in a nutshell is, and we're going to see this in a story in just a couple of minutes, is there's huge impact 
to people who will just move over. There's, there's huge impact. There's, there's amazing potential when God can work through people who have that move over mentality. Right. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is getting good so far. Okay, so I'm going to read from a story, 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 9, 1 and following, and it's the story of a, of a name of a person that maybe some of you haven't heard of. It's, it's an incredible story, but it's the story of Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. Don't try to get me to say that too many times too fast because it won't happen. I was trying to come up with a nickname today, and I couldn't, you know, like, it's just going to have to stand on its own, like Mufasa. It's just going to have to, Mephibosheth, it's just going to have to stand by itself. But before we get into 2 Samuel chapter 9, let me give you the context in chapter 8. Chapter 8 reveals um, a character that you know and you've heard of probably, and that's King David. King David at this time in, his, in the historical review is... He is, uh, 2 Samuel 8 is listing all his wins, all his accolades, all his accomplishments, and, and he's top of the heap. He's top of the game. He's got influence, affluence. He's king. He's large and in charge. Is everybody with me? Yeah. And out of that favored position and blessing and authority, he does something incredibly different. Different than what most people do in the same circumstance or, or similar circumstances. Maybe not by scale. But, but similar in that they're favored, he does something most people don't do. It's counterintuitive, and here's what it is, 2 Samuel 9, verse 1. It says, and David said, he asked, hey, is there anybody still in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And then it says, now there was a servant of Saul's household. His name was Ziba. Everybody say Ziba. Very important later. They called him to appear before David and and, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? Yes, I am. And so David asks again, is there anyone, is there no one, excuse me, in the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba said, yeah, um, there's still the son of Jonathan. He is, and he, he, he describes, he doesn't give his name, he describes the problem. He says he's crippled in both feet. He says, this is how you'll know who he is, by his disability, by his shortcomings. By his, by his problem. Here's his identity. This is how, I, I might say this and then it might trigger something with you because that's what people see first. Are you with me, everybody? But I love this thought because out of David's top of the heap position, power, uh, title, um, kingship, he, he asks a question. And it's so counterintuitive because it's, it's not about him, it's about other people. And, and the truth is, we, we're typically not like that. We typically don't ask that question when we're in that kind of position. I think that we have, my dad uses big words, but he says, a propensity, a natural inclination for us when we are in a, a position of blessing, which, by the way, you are if you live in America. But, but in those positions... Our propensity in humanity is towards selfishness, self-centeredness, small-mindedness, low-impact, seat-taken life. Are you there? It's about what, what do I get out of this, not what can I give to this. That's our selfish tendency. And we all have it, right? I mean, there's different tests. If I said, uh, show me... Uh, we used to say photo album. Let me see your Instagram. Who is the primary subject? Others? No. 
It's not. It's just because we don't really want to see others as much as we want to see ourselves. We, when, when you take a family photo and people say, come over, see the picture, who do you look for first? Do you look to see how their hair is? Their, their makeup? No. Praise the Lord, I don't have either of those in photos. For me, it's a quick look. Right? But, but it shows up in other ways for me. Like if somebody says, food's ready, I'm like, girls, hurry the heck up. Like I know they should go first. But literally, my son and I, we're like, we're like driving them. We're like behind them, you know, trying to move them quick. Oh, you're not ready to go? Okay, I'll go. Okay, okay. I offered you first, but you didn't go, so I'm going to go. Because yeah, it's, like it's, about, it's, a, it's about me. Are you with me, everybody? We're all wired this way, yes or no? We're wired towards self-preservation, self-indulgence, self-big word, grandizement, self-promotion. We're all wired like that. And, and, a, and a litmus test or... Or it could be framed in a question. How do you know that that is your wiring? Is because consciously or subconsciously, you're asking a question whenever an invitation comes to do something. And the question is, how does this benefit me? How does this benefit me? It's so common. And, and, and so it could come, let's just use church world. It's, it could come in, um, you're, we're being asked once a month to, if you're part of this church, again, this is for you, to, to come to a prayer meeting at 9 a.m. And I think we consciously or unconsciously think, what is the benefit to me? Or what benefits do I lose by doing that? I'm going to be a little bit stronger. Are you ready? They're, they're saying the Bible says this, and we're being challenged to, to be sacrificial with our time. And now they want us to do that. They want us to, they're going to start a service. Great. They want me to serve. Not so great. Because, because it's the, what's the benefit to me? What's the benefit if I tithe? What's the benefit to me? Or what's the loss of benefit? I'll have 10% less. Will you? But anyway, that's another story. Does this benefit me? Whereas David asks, and, and he asks, how can I bless? We sometimes ask, how can this benefit me? There, there's a different question. Matthew 6 tells us, verse 33, that, that, that we should seek first the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Derek. And all these things that Derek wants will be added unto him if I first what? Seek the, first the kingdom, right? And so in a nutshell, I've said this for years. When you make God's agenda your agenda, he'll make your agenda, his agenda your agenda. You may, did I say that right? When you make God's agenda your agenda, he'll make your agenda his. There we go, Pastor Derek. You got it, right? In other words, what you make happen for others, God's going to make happen for you. Let's, let's, let's use resources. What you sow today will come back to you someday in some way. It's just, it's just especially if it's good soil. Can I have an Amen. If you'll bless others, God will be about your benefits. He's that way. That's how he works. And so because we serve a different kingdom, we should, we should see everything differently. We see everything differently. We, we bless those who hurt us. We pray for those who despitefully use us. We forgive those that uh, sin against us. We refresh others knowing that we will be refreshed in the prophet. No, no, no. See, taken. I'm good. But the kingdom is not what's best it's not, it's not what's best for me first. It's how can I bless you first.
first? How can I bless others first? So from this story in, in, in David's life, I love him because he, um, he did this. And this, this is what we look forward to sometimes when, when we're thinking about things. Um, sometimes we're giving and we're thinking, or we're thinking about it, but we don't want to do it because we think we're from a scarcity mentality. Like, if I do that, I can't afford to do this. I, I, I recently put out on Instagram, I, I asked people to talk to God, and some people, and I need to ask them a question, don't, don't look for a reason, look for a revelation. A reason says, what can I afford? That's a scarcity mentality. A revelation says, God, what do you want me to give? Yeah. Knowing that he's just going to give me more back. He's just going to bless me. Are you with me? Yeah. David asked, what do you want me to do? He's coming from a blessed mentality. And so there was no advantage for him to give to this, to this grandson of Saul. Saul was a king who preceded David, who actually wanted to kill David. So if anything, David could have been offended. I'm offended by this, by this person and their whole family line. In fact, a second reason David, I think, is amazing is he, he not only didn't do it, he did it even though there was no advantage. He also probably shouldn't have done it if you look at it through a cultural or even like tactical lens. Because back in the day, if you become king, what was normal, what was cultural, and what was even strategic or tactical would be you eliminate the previous king and all of their associations. That's how it worked back then. Are you with me? And that plays into what comes up in a few minutes. You'll see that. But self, in, in other words, this story reveals self says, how can this benefit me? But God says, and we can see this in David's life, how can I be a blessing? How can you be a blessing? Or how can you and I move over? Turn to your neighbor and say, move over. So here's what I've learned about my, here's what I've learned, or learning. I'm definitely learning because I haven't learned it. About my selfish heart. Apply this to yourself. And, and this will come up on the screen. If I'm not intentional about not missing moments to bless, then my heart will always drift towards what benefits me. True that. Right? Facts. Right? If I don't get intentional about it, the gravitational pull, the vacuum to self will always be there. It will always be there. So, everybody say so. We actually have to look for moments. This, this whole series, in some respects, is about being intentional, being intentional with my time, being intentional with what God has given me, as we talked about last, last week, so you can stand before God, and you can pass that test, and you can receive the rewards that he has for you, because he's a rewarder of those who use their gifts before God. Are you with me, everybody? And, and, and it's about being intentional and looking for moments where I can sow and where I can be a blessing. That's what legacy is all about, everybody. Legacy, in a nutshell, what's going to happen in, in, in this process is you are going to realign your heart to a giving, generous nature of God. Like what we see in David is really, King David is really the heart of King Jesus. We're aligning our hearts with him, and then we're also adjusting the question we ask. When you give sacrificially, you're simply flipping the question. It's not, it's about blessing, how can I be a blessing not how can this benefit me. That's what happens when you give. I want you to understand that. When you bring a sacrifice, you're, 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 you're realigning your hearts and you're adjusting your questions. Yes, you get that, everybody? 2 Samuel chapter 9, continuing in verse 4, it says, uh, it says uh, where is he? Uh, the king asked. 
the king's asking this question, and Ziba answers. In other words, where's, where can I find this Mephibosheth? And he says, okay, he's in this house, maker's house, and the son of Amiel, and he's in this place, this, this town called Lodabar. Everybody say Lodabar. And it says, when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, so basically Ziba goes and gets him in Lodabar, brings him to the palace before David, and then Mephibosheth sees David and he bows down. And listen, I want you to understand the probable conditions. I'm not 100% sure of this, but I know from commentaries and context that he's bowing down thinking, I think it's over for me. I'm about, I'm about to be all done, A.D., all done. My life's about to end right here because I'm the son of Saul who was trying to kill the king. And if I make it through this, it's only going to be because of my association with my father, Jonathan. But I'm, he's nervous as a cat right here. That's why David says to him, don't be afraid. And here's what he does. He doesn't behead Mephibosheth. He blesses him. See, some of us, we forget what we deserved before we met King Jesus. Some of us forget that we didn't deserve life. We deserve, because of our sin, eternal separation from God. Because of what he did for, for us, because of his generosity and his kindness, we are not separated from God eternally. We didn't, we're not going to die in our trespasses. Are you with me, everybody? And this is a moment right here where that reality is coming to fruition uh, for Mephibosheth. And instead, instead, he does so much more than just give him his life back, uh, or, or not taking his life, excuse me. He gives him his life back and more. Because we serve a God who's an abundant God, who wants to give us above and beyond all that we could ask or imagine. That's the king, everybody, that you serve. And this king said, I'm going to show you kindness for the sake of another. I'm going to restore to you. You're going to get all that your father used to have. All the lands of your father were being passed down. The blessing are going to be passed down and the things that belong to you. And in addition to that, everybody say in addition. You get to eat at my table. You get to eat at the king's table now. You get to, and with that, he gets privilege, he gets preferential treatment, he gets favor. Everybody, favor ain't fair, right? But you can be God's favorite if you choose to. If you put you in a position, you can be God's favorite. And so he gets to eat at the king's table. Uh, David calls for him. Ziba is used by, Ziba is used by King David to help bring Mephibosheth from Lodabar to the king's table. He gets this seat. This is super huge. By the way, let, let's talk about Lodabar for a second. Lodabar is this location that sometimes uh, you can't, there's so much in the Bible that's so rich, okay? But, but let me break that word down for you. Mephibosheth is in Lodabar. What's Lodabar? Well, Debar means, it means nothing. Excuse me, it means thing, thing, thing. And low means, it's like a negator, a, a nullifier. But another way to say it is it, it means no. It means no. And so if you put those two things together, you got the place of no thing or you got the place of nothing. The place of nothing. Let's, let's, let's talk about that. So this, this represents Lodabar, the place of nothing. Lodabar. Everybody say Lodabar. This is the card table life. How many at the holidays... Any of you young people know what I'm talking about. At the holidays where you weren't allowed to sit at the big table. 
just sit at the card table. Anybody resonate with this analogy right now? Oh, my goodness. I'm hitting some nerves here in this house. I remember Thanksgiving at my grandmother's. The table was way bigger than that. It had like 25 people at it. All the big people. That's what we called them, big people. All the important people. And all the small, unimportant people. Because you had to like read between the lines. Where'd you go? You had to go to the card table. Card table life is paper plates. Paper towels. Paper cups. It's like plastic. Ain't no silverware over here at the card table, everybody. Silverware's over there at the big table with all the big people, right? See, at the card table, this is Lodabar. This is where Mephibosheth was raised. He'd been here his whole life at the card table. In fact, he, 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 he wasn't born crippled, everybody. Actually, something unfortunate had to him. His, there was a, a, a difficult circumstance took place, and, and, and he was on the run, and his nanny, who was raising him, dropped him. Something some sad and bad happened to him, and it crippled him. And so he's, he's been stuck over here at the card table his whole life. Here at the card table, um, everybody knew he was the crippled boy. Everybody's... His brokenness was on display. His brokenness was seen by everybody. His, his, his pain, his problems, his shame. Everybody could see it. See, it's not a perfect illustration, but, but it, imagine a, a tablecloth over that table. At this table, you could see, you could see his crippled feet. Over there, it would be covered. People at the card table look over there, and they say, man, I, I wish I could be over there at the, at the big table. Over there, they've got... They got silverware, they got real napkins, they got glass and china, and it's amazing. But over here, over here, where I'm stuck, over here, I, I, I can't get out of this place. It's the place of nothing. Nothing good is happening over here. Nothing. And, and maybe, this is just a thought I had about him, maybe, isn't this what happens with people who live someplace for a long time? Even though it's dysfunctional, you get comfortable with it. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's like, I want something more, but I, I can't even see it anymore. See, I think there are people between, like, I think there are people that are out there that are living in Lodabar that don't even know it. There are people that are living at the card table, and they don't even realize it. You can't even see their dysfunction. So what did it take? It took an invitation from the king. A generous king. And you need to know something. The king is generous. He wants that table full, not empty. And so he sends or he uses Zibas. He uses Zibas on assignment from the king to come and grab a hold of the Mephibosheths of life. Whether they realize they're crippled or not, they are. And he takes their crippled selves and he invites them. He invites Mephibosheth over here to the palace. And he gets to the palace and the king, before he's coming, the king's like, we got to make room. We got a guest. We got to get some more seats over here. Let's, let's, let's create some space for our special guest. 
The king, want, he's trying to make room, and Ziba's doing his job, and Ziba's bringing the cripples. He's bringing the broken. He's bringing those people that feel shame, those people that feel stuck. He's taking them from the card table, and he's bringing them over to the king's table. <laughs> and he gets over to the king's table. He's like, man, this place is, Mephibosheth must have felt like, what just happened to me? That was me. And now I'm over here, right? I'm over here at this table. I don't want to miss something that I want to say here because sometimes they get all excited about what I'm saying. And, and, and so, so somebody takes you, bottom line, from the card table to the king's table. We need people in the house of God that see I'm that person. I'm the, I'm the Ziba. You're the Ziba. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're the Ziba. Turn to your second choice say, you're the Ziba too. See, at this table... Again, not, we're working with what, what we got. Mephibosheth's feet are covered. His shame is covered. His pain. His pro he's not identified as the crippled boy. All of a sudden, he's got favor. All of a sudden, he's got faith. He's around people at the table who have land and status. Translated, they have, they, they have, they have a, a confidence they, there's, there's potential here. Everybody believes for bigger. Everybody can see higher. Why? Because they're sitting in proximity to the king. Because the king can just say a word and things will change. He can issue an edict and your situation can literally change in a moment. And that's what happened for Mephibosheth. And he's sitting with everybody who realizes that. Oh my gosh. Are you catching this? He took somebody from the place of nothing to become a something, and he basically said, you get to eat at my table, breakfast, lunch, and dinner from now on. Oh, my gosh. And it was all because of the generosity of a king. And it's your generosity that helps make that happen. It was someone else's generosity that provided the seat you're sitting in right now that went before you. Someone, there's no archdiocese that made this happen. There's no, no, it was sacrifices before you that made this happen. It's Zibba's before you. It might be a Zibba that got you in this room in the first place to see the King Jesus the way you needed to see him. Can I have an amen out there? Can we give him praise for just a second for that? So, So we're not, we're not going to give today to keep the lights on, keep the heat going this winter. That's taking care of everybody. We're giving today sacrificially to make room at this table, Amen. more room at this table. And, and, and I, I don't want to get too much in the physical because you first have to make room in your hearts before you can make room at the table. But at some point, it has to translate from your heart to actions. And so we have all kinds of reasons why our church needs to make room. We can't even have a baptism service in this room again. There were so many people here last time. So many people got baptized. So many people in this room. And don't get me wrong. I loved it. It was awesome. But I literally, as your pastor, I'm thinking, we got to make room. Just this last week, just a couple of weeks ago, and I, I believe this is going to change dramatically even more in the next couple of weeks. Just, just Wednesday night, there was like 168 kids in this, 160 kids in this room. Two nights ago, Friday night, this room was packed with young adults. A couple of weeks ago, Framingham had over 300 people in it. It's just, it's, it's just opened up officially, and 
And I'm just trying to say, I'm looking ahead and I'm asking myself, how are we going to have revival nights at one location, multiple churches in one location? How are we going to do that? We need to make room. And you got to make room in your hearts for that. And it doesn't happen without, without generosity. Are you there, everybody? Yeah. And so God wants a gathering for his, for his people. So, oh, what's this table about? So there's another table. We've all heard this table before, and sometimes we don't connect it. But King Jesus had people around a table, 12 people around a table. And he stood up, and in his extravagant generosity, he said, I'm about to make a sacrifice, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to give all of me for you. I'm going to break, my body's going to break. And I'm going to, I'm literally going to get up there, and I'm going to shed blood, my own blood. I'm going to sacrifice all of me so that you don't have to be at a card table ever again. So that one day we'll all rejoice together at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We'll be at the king's table. I'm doing that now. I'm bringing an offering now of myself in order for that to happen. This sacrifice was the greatest single sacrifice of all. And sometimes I think we forget. That was me. I, maybe you never had that moment. You maybe need that. To look back and just remind yourself that it was someone, first of all, your Savior who gave everything for you. Yeah. And practically, it was someone maybe who invited you, a Ziba that got you here in the first place. Someone was generous and gave sacrificially so there could be room. And now you're called to be someone's Ziba. Yeah. Yeah. You're called to be the one to bring that sacrifice. Are you with me, everybody? Yeah. And And... and and through this illustration, let me just say, how do you keep that, though? How do we move from, you know, uh, 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 the, just the excitement and the enthusiasm and, and you know, I, I think sometimes we hear messages like this and we want to, like, get all pumped up. And some of you guys want to stand up right now. That's right, Pastor. Preach it, Pastor. Preach it, white boy. You better go. He, he took us from the card table. Oh, yeah. And he's taking us to the king's table. Oh, you know, and you're like, you want to... Organ in the back to go crazy, and you're getting all excited, and you want to like, ho, 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 king's table. You know, you know, so, right? And we're pumped, and then all of a sudden, oh, yeah, it comes on down. And the only way you're going to keep that, hold that, is you have to be intentional and keep on giving. Because what's going to happen to you is at some point, you're going you're to be sitting at this table one day, <laughs> and... When you first gave your life to Jesus, you were like, wow. I, mean, just, I just want you to go back. If you really had it right, somewhere in that walk with Jesus, you were like, I can't even believe. I can't even believe I'm at this table. How did I, how did I get this table? I, don't, I, I had so much shame. Because of my sin. I messed up so bad. I did so many things wrong. And, it, and, it, and he covered it. He made a sacrifice for me. Why? I remember thinking, why? I remember thinking, I'm at the table and I'm thinking, I don't, I don't dare say a thing 
right now. I'm just so glad to be here near all this. Do you remember that? Remember when you felt like that? You need to remember that. See, how do you keep, how do you keep it? How do you hold on to it? If you want to keep that moment that you had here at this table, you got to remember that you came from that table over there. you got to keep your view. you got to keep your eye on that table. Because the second you lose view of that table, that's going to keep you from making room at this table for other people. If you don't keep your view on the car table. If you don't keep your view on Lodabar. See, when I... The reason you need to be intentional is because of the gravitational pull to get cozy. Get comfortable. It's pretty good. Entitled. What's up, Josh? What's up, bro? What's up? Well, I'm sitting there, everybody. I get up here close. Me and the king. Cozy. And I like my seat. I like my seat all by myself. What do you mean you want me to serve on Saturdays? What do you mean you want me to tithe? You want me to bring in our seat taken? Seat taken. There's no more. No, 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 no. There's no more room here. I don't got any room. Seat taken. God's like, no. And so what he does is he sends like a challenging person or situation. He sends a zipper. And he says, I don't know what you guys think. And some of what I'm saying is maybe driving some of you nuts. But we're going to keep on making room. And I'm going to keep on challenging you to move over. Because we're going to launch more campuses. We're going to reach more kids in the Dominican Republic. We're going to equip leaders. We're going to pastor people in other parts of the world. We're going to raise up the next generation. Are you with me, everybody? We're going to help people, lost people get saved, and saved people get baptized, and baptized people get free, and free people filled with the Spirit and empowered to do what God's called them to do, which is to take people from the card table to the king's table. I'm going to keep telling you to move over. can't live that seat-taking life. I want you to stand your feet. I want to pray for you. We're going to bring our offering now. And I want to say a couple practical things to you. First is, I would never ask you to do something. I have never, as your pastor, pray in Jesus' name, this is always the case. I would never ask you to do something like this that I wouldn't participate in myself or my wife. We have prayed. I've done exactly what I've preached we have prayed, we have planned, we have asked God, what should we do? And I'm telling you, with all integrity, I'm bringing a sacrifice. My wife and I are bringing a sacrifice. That, that hurts. That hurts. But I know it's going to help so many people. So that's first. Second thing I just want to say is, I'm going to ask you to do two things. Two reasons to get out of your seat. Two reasons. One is symbolic and worshipful. I'm asking you to get out of your seat and why you're getting out of your seat. And by the way, if you're new, you don't have to get out of your seat. Nobody has to get out of your seat. I'm asking you. But this is what I'm asking. I'm asking you to get out of your seat for two reasons. One, because you're saying to God, 
I'm willing to live the move over life, not the seat taken life, in my heart. I don't want to finish this year or go into the next year without having that move over life. I'm not going to live a seat taken life. My attitude, my disposition, and my behaviors, I want to reflect a move over life. And second reason you're getting out of your seat is you're coming to bring not a tip, not a leftover. Keep it. Keep it. Please. Like, that's not what this is. Don't corrupt the sacrifice. Bring your first best fruits offering. And if you're not ready, you're not ready. That's okay. Pray about it. Take time. And some of you can't do it. If you can't do it, this is what I believe. I believe someday you will. Because I believe people want to be generous who are born, born of God. You were born again to be generous. And I would say get help so you can be generous someday. That's what we, we help with that. But you come and you bring, you bring that sacrificial offering. And you're doing it by filling out that commitment card. So if you don't have that done and you know what that commitment is, there's, there's pens. Guys are going to come around and help you with that. You can just kind of write that in now. You're making your commitment now. Most people give online, so that's what that commitment card is. You're saying, I'm committing to give this sometime very soon, and this is what it is. And we already know what it's, been, what it's going to. Just so you know, it's not going to Pastor Derek, Pastor Stacey's vacation schedule. It's going to four areas in our vision, which we've talked about for weeks, okay? So I'm not spending time on that. So you come and you bring that offering. Here's what it is. It's not a business transaction. You're not just throwing it in a box. If, by the way, if you have a physical offering, cash or a check, put it right in the box up here so it's secure. But your commitment card, bring it to the altar. During worship, with a worshipful heart, put it face down on the altar. If you need to pray over it, ask God to bless it, ask him to multiply, go ahead and do that. You can do that in your seat. You can do it up here. Whatever you feel comfortable with. This is worship. Is everybody with me? It's worship. It is literally the ultimate worship. The ultimate worship. I prayed three things, three things for you guys as I conclude. I prayed that you guys would experience the presence of God when you give. Something powerful about I pray that you actually would talk to God. That before you came here, you talked to God about it. And I pray you just do, do what he says. And watch. When you do what only you can, God will do what only he can. So, are you ready, everybody? It's, it's, the whole series has been about this. Your miracle is connected to your movement. It's time. It's time to move. Amen. Father, bless this offering in Jesus' name. Bless every giver in this room, Lord. As we worship you, I pray that it be a profound, profound moment in the history of our church. Lives will be changed because of this moment right now. In Jesus' name, amen.